Part two, chapter eleven of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Eighteen hundred and eight, the Emperor at Bordeaux. Bordeaux was very much taken up with the affairs of Spain, and several refugees from that country had already arrived there. My aunt wrote us from Paris that the Emperor was to go to Spain accompanied perhaps by the Empress Josephine, and that Monsieur de Bassano would form part of his suite. She advised her nephew to pay his court to the Emperor, and to see Monsieur de Bassano, who was interested in him. My husband received this letter at the moment when he was setting out on horseback for Tesson. A matter of business absolutely claimed his presence there. In leaving, he said, that he would be gone only two days, and that he had plenty of time to go and return. The very next day, the order was received at the posting station to prepare horses for the Emperor. This news filled me with despair, but I was nonetheless anxious to see this extraordinary man. Madame de Morville, my daughter Charlotte, and I went to Cubzac, resolved not to return before we had seen Napoleon. We demanded hospitality from Ribet, the Grand Commissionnaire de Transport, who knew us and who installed us in a room looking out on the port. The brigantine destined for the passage of the Dodogne was already there, with the sailors at their posts. The whole population of the country lined the road. The peasants, while cursing the man who took their children to send them away to war, wished to see him nevertheless. A first courier arrived. People tried to question him. General Drouet d'Elon, the commander of the department, asked him when the emperor would arrive. The man was so fatigued that the only response they could get from him was the word passant. His horse was saddled, he accompanied it on the boat, then fell at the bottom of the boat like a dead man, and it was necessary to rouse him and put him on his horse on the other side of the river. After the passage of the courier, our impatience was very great. As for myself, I was taken up with the fatality which kept my husband far from the place where his functions demanded his presence. The municipality of Cubzac was present, and he, the president of the canton, whose place was there, was absent. It was an occasion lost which might not return. I felt very much put out. Finally, after a wait which lasted the entire day, towards evening, a first carriage arrived, and a little later, a berlin with eight horses escorted by a picket of cavalry stopped under the window where we were. The emperor descended, dressed in the uniform of Chasseur de la Garde. Two chamberlains, one of whom was Monsieur de Barral, and an aide-de-camp accompanied him. The mayor paid his compliments. The emperor listened with an air of great boredom, then entered the brigantine, which immediately set out. This was all we saw of the great man. We returned to Le Bouille, all three of us, tired out and in bad humour. The next day my husband arrived. I gave him only time to eat his breakfast 
and then forced him to set out for Bordeaux, where the Empress was expected the next day. Immediately on his arrival, he went to see Monsieur Marais, who professed for him much friendship and interest. He found him kind and obliging, but what was his astonishment when Monsieur de Marais said to him, You have felt much annoyance over the necessity of going to Tesson exactly at the time that the Emperor was passing your home, and you have shown great diligence in returning. You have then seen Bouquin, replied Monsieur de la Tour du Pin. No. But then how do you know all that? The Emperor told me. You can imagine how much my husband was surprised. Madame de la Tour du Pin should come to Bordeaux, added Monsieur Marais. She should remain here during the time of the sojourn of the Empress. There will be an assembly tomorrow, and the Emperor wishes that she should be present. My husband immediately sent a carriage for me, for it was not a time to hesitate. I had several dresses at Bordeaux, made at the time that I was taking Elisa to the balls, and to evening entertainments given at the time of her marriage. But among these, there was no black dress, and the court was in mourning. The assembly was for eight o'clock, and it was already five. Fortunately, I had a pretty robe of grey satin. I added several dark ornaments. The good coiffure arranged some black ribbons in my hair, and this seemed to me very appropriate for a woman of thirty-eight who can say without vanity that she did not have the air of being more than thirty. The reunion was in the large salle manger of the palace. I knew very few persons at Bordeaux. Sixty or eighty ladies were present. We were arranged according to a list read aloud by the chamberlain, Monsieur de Bayan. He enjoined us that no one was to leave her place under any pretext, as otherwise it would be impossible for him to find the name to give to each person. This sort of military manoeuvre had hardly been arranged when a loud voice announced, L'Empereur, which caused my heart to beat. He began at the end of the line and addressed a word to each lady. As he approached the place where I was standing, the Chamberlain said a word in his ear. He fixed his eyes on me, smiling graciously, and when my turn came, he said to me, laughing in a familiar tone, while he regarded me from head to foot, Why, you are not then afflicted over the death of the King of Denmark? Not sufficiently, sire, I replied, to sacrifice the pleasure of being presented to your majesty. I had no black dress. Oh, that is an excellent reason. And then he added, you were in the country. Speaking then to the lady beside me, he said, your name, madame? She stammered, and he did not comprehend. Montesquieu, I said. Ah, really, that is a fine name to have. I went this morning to La Bred to see the cabinet of Montesquieu. The poor woman replied, thinking that she had found a fine inspiration, C'est un bon citoyen. This word, citoyen, displeased the emperor. He gave Madame de Montesquieu with his eagle eyes a look which would have terrified her if she had understood, and replied very briskly, Menon said it un grand homme. And then, shrugging his shoulders, he looked at me as if to say, Que cette femme est bête.
the empress followed at some distance behind the emperor and the ladies were named to her in the same order but before she arrived at my place the valet de chambre came to request me to go to the salon to await her majesty when the empress entered the salon she showed herself very amiable for me and for my husband whom she had also summoned she expressed the desire to see me every evening during her sojourn at bordeaux and then began to play backgammon with monsieur de la tour du pin they served tea and ices i was still in hopes of seeing the emperor again and my disappointment was great when i learned that upon the arrival of a courier from bayonne he had immediately left bordeaux to go there the emperor having all spain and all europe on his hands to use the common expression had nevertheless the time to dictate the order of the day of the empress in the most minute detail even to the toilettes which she was to wear she would neither have wished nor dared to change this in the slightest particular unless she was sick in bed i learned from madame marais that the emperor had ordered that we should come my husband and i every day to pass the evening which we did however the poor empress was beginning to be cruelly disturbed over the rumours of divorce which were already being circulated she spoke of it to monsieur de la tour du pin who reassured her as well as possible he endeavoured to stop the confidences which the imprudent and light-headed josephine seemed disposed to make to him and which it seemed to him indiscreet to hear she was much turned against monsieur de talleyrand whom she accused of urging the emperor to obtain a divorce no one was better aware of this fact than my husband for he had talked the matter over with him during the trip he made to paris but he took care not to let josephine know this accustomed to the adulation of some the deception of others she found great relief in talking with my husband and opened her heart to him on a subject which she had not dared to broach to any persons of her entourage she was very desirous of leaving for bayonne and demanded every day of ordinaire when do we go to which he replied with his german accent indeed i do not yet know one evening i was seated beside the empress at the tea-table when she received a note of several lines from the emperor leaning towards me she said very low he writes like a cat i cannot read this last phrase at the same time she handed me the note while putting her finger upon her lips as a sign of mystery i had only the time to read several thousand these and then the last phrase thus worded i have here the father and the son this gives me much embarrassment since then this note has been quoted in a dispatch but much amplified there were only five or six lines written upon a sheet of paper which had been torn and folded in two if it were shown to me i should recognize it after tea general ordener approached the empress and said to her your majesty will leave tomorrow at midday at this decision everyone rejoiced the surgeon at bordeaux had been a cause of expense for me as it had been necessary during the ten days to be in full dress every evening 
I was crazy to return to my children. Elisa, on account of her baby, was not able to come to see the Empress to her great regret. She had been present only at the assembly, where she received a very flattering reception. Her husband had entered the mounted guard of honour, which was composed of all the most distinguished young men of Bordeaux. We returned accordingly to Le Bouille, and notwithstanding the fine reception from the distinguished personages whom we had seen at Bordeaux, we entertained only small hopes for the future. How could I believe, indeed, that a man averse to all intrigue, unknown, so to speak, to those in power, since he had not mingled in any of the events for the past few years, living retired at his chateau, in a retreat all the more profound, because he was almost without fortune, how could I suppose, I say, that he should have attracted the eye of the eagle who was the master of the destinies of France? My husband had remained at Bordeaux to finish some business, and I was seated beside my lamp, talking with my poor cousin, Madame Joseph de la Tour du Pain, whom we had received at our house through kindness. At this moment, as nine o'clock was striking, a peasant sent expressly from Bordeaux arrived with a note from my husband, in which were written only these words, I am Prefect of Brussels. Of Brussels, only ten leagues from Antwerp. I admit that I experienced a great joy, in which the thought of again seeing my son touched me above all. Monsieur Marais was ignorant of the vacancy in this prefecture. The papers of the Minister of the Interior arrived at Bayonne exactly as if he had been present at the Tuileries or at Saint-Cloud. For nothing was allowed to change the habits of the Emperor. He was upsetting the Spanish monarchy and sending to prison or into exile the two kings, father and son. This gave him, quote, much embarrassment, as I had read written in his own hand, but in spite of that, when the work of the minister arrived, he read, rectified, and changed the nominations. Prefecture de la Dille, a name is proposed for this post, he takes his pen, erases it, and writes above it, La Tour du Pain. That is what we learn later from Monsieur Marais, who never raised any objection, but who also never made any proposition. He was a very useful machine. My son was at Antwerp, seated at his desk as secretary to Monsieur Malouet, when he saw the latter running across the court. Never had anyone seen Monsieur Malouet, the most dignified of men, hasten his pace for any reason whatsoever. On entering, he cried, Your father is préfet of Brussels. Dear Ambert, how great was his joy. Several days before the departure of my husband from Le Wheel to go to Brussels, I received a courier in great haste from our friend Bruquin, who announced that he had sent a carriage to Cubzac. He informed me at the same time that King Charles the Fourth of Spain and his unworthy wife were to arrive at Bordeaux at the palace, and that the Emperor had given orders that I should serve as a lady of honour to the Queen during her sojourn at Bordeaux, which would be for two or three days. Fortunately, all my ceremonial costumes were still with Monsieur de Brocan. My packing was therefore soon finished. 
My husband accompanied me, and we set out. Arrived at Bordeaux, I dressed hastily and went to the palace, where their Spanish majesties had just arrived. On entering the salon, I found some gentlemen of my acquaintance who cried, Come at once, we are awaiting you for dinner. This was very agreeable to me, for I had taken only a cup of tea before leaving. The king and queen had retired to their own apartment with the Prince de la Paix. I met Monsieur Dodenard and Monsieur de Monnoir, the one écuyer, the other chamberlain to the emperor, a few others, and two or three Spaniards, whose names I did not know and who did not speak French. We immediately sat down to dinner. These gentlemen told me two other ladies of honour had been named, one of whom was Elisa Do, and I was charged to notify them to be at the palace the next day at midday. The next day at eleven o'clock I went to the palace, and Monsieur de Monnoir requested to enter the Queen's apartment to present me. Turning to me before opening the door, he said, Don't laugh. This, of course, gave me a desire to, and in truth there was sufficient reason. There I saw the most surprising and unexpected spectacle. La Reine d'Espagne s'était au milieu de la chambre devant une grande psyché, ou la lacée. Elle avait pour tout vêtement une petite jupe de percale très étroite et très courte, et sur la poitrine, la plus sèche, la plus déchaînée, la plus noire que l'on pût voir, un mouchoir de gaz. Sous ses cheveux gris était disposée en guise de coiffure une guirlande de rose, rouge et jaune. La reine s'avança vers moi, la femme de chambre, la lassant toujours, en opérant ces mouvements de cour que l'on fait quand on veut, en termes de toilette, se retirer de son corset. Near her was the king and several other men whom I did not know. The queen demanded of Monsieur du Monnoir, Who is that lady? He told her. What is her name? She said. He repeated it. And the Queen addressed several words in Spanish to the King, who replied by saying that I was, or that my name was, very noble. Then the Queen finished her toilette while relating that the Empress had given her several of her dresses, as she had brought none from Madrid. This degree of degradation gave me a very painful impression. The Sovereign, indeed, was wearing a gown of yellow crepe lined with satin of the same shade, which I remembered having seen the Empress wear. All desire to laugh had left me. I was more inclined to weep. When the Queen was dressed, she dismissed me. I went to the salon where I found Elisa, and together we awaited the arrival of the authorities whom I was to present to Her Majesty. At this moment, a fat man with a black plaster upon his forehead passed through the salon. I recognised him for the famous Prince de la Paix. He passed impolitely before us without saluting, and we both agreed that neither his face nor his figure justified the favours which the scandalous chronicles attributed to him. The salons were then filled, and the Queen was notified. I presented to her one by one the chiefs of the administration, commencing with the Archbishop, to whom alone she addressed a word. Monsieur de Monnoir did the same for the king, who showed himself more gracious. 
The following day I made a visit of a quarter of an hour in the morning, and there was the usual entertainment in the evening. The day after, to my great joy, I learned of the early departure of the members of the royal family of Spain. The préfet and the archbishop came to bid them adieu. Then we entered a carriage to go to the passage of the river, for at this time there was no bridge. We found there the brigantine already, and the crossing effectuated, I took leave of these unhappy sovereigns. The unfortunate king did not have the air for a single instant of comprehending the sadness of his situation. His attitude was completely lacking in dignity and seriousness. During the passage of the river he had talked all the time with my servant who was on the deck. He was a good German who could hardly believe that he had talked with a king. He said to me afterwards, Mais madame, il n'a donc pas de chagrin. Such is the history of my brief functions at the court of King Charles the Fourth, and of the Queen, his horrible wife. End of part two, chapter eleven.